Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on tonight's show. A very special guest, a returning guest. His name is Blaine Pardo. I spoke to him back in July on July 19th, 2019, about a true crime book he wrote with his daughter titled A Special Kind of Evil, The Colonial Parkway Serial Killings. So you can go back and check that out on my podcast. But he has just published a book. Uh, the title of this book is Blue Dawn, The Most Chilling What If in History. The Progressive Overthrow of the United States, published June 29th, 2021. But he is also, since our last interview, he published another true crime book with his daughter, Victoria Hester. That title of that book is Tantamount, The Pursuit of the Freeway, Phantom Serial Killer. And he's also done some other historical uh, novel uh, books, nonfiction books. The title of one is The Murder of Maggie Hume, Cold Case in Battle Creek. That's from 2014. Secret Witness, the untold story of the 1967 bombing in Marshall, Michigan, 2012. The Terror of the Autumn Skies, the true story of Frank Luke, America's rogue ace of World War I. That was from 2008. And Blaine has also written 15 or 16 books in the Battletech series. But we're going to talk about this book, which I read. And I really was reading along with this book. It is a fictional book. It reads like a true story. But uh, there were so many concepts and things in this that I highly recommend people check out Blue Dawn. But Blaine Pardo, are you there? Yeah, I am. Thanks for having me back on. Awesome. Well, thanks for agreeing to the interview. For people who may not have heard of your background, can you talk about your kind of uh, literary career and what led you to write Blue Dawn? Well, I've been writing since college, and and I've written a lot of books. I write military history, business management, I I write science fiction and I've written, this is my first political thriller. And it really, for me, um, I enjoy writing in general and I enjoy writing the things I enjoy reading. So I switch genres quite a bit, you know, be it true crime or, or this type of subject. And, you know, I came at this from a historian's perspective up through last year, um, summer of last year, especially, as, as we were watching things unfold uh, around the world and especially here in the United States. And it really gelled with me that we were seeing things happen in our cities all across the nation, et cetera, that were kind of unheard of where we had riots taking place, but we had the media calling them peaceful protests despite the flames and the injuries and the damage. And it really kind of gelled with me that what we needed from a conservative perspective was to actually have a book that kind of told the story of what would happen if they got everything they wanted. What would happen if the left and the extremists on the left got everything that they wanted? And so I've been mulling around parts of this story for a long time. I mean, many years, um, one chapter in particular, and it was like a last summer really was the perfect impetus to bring this all together. I finished the book prior to the election. Um, and when the events on January 6th happened, I, I literally had to call my publisher and go, look, this isn't a publicity stunt for the book. I know I cover this in the book, but it's, I'm not staging this, you know, this is actually a real thing. Um, it, it's really fun to bring historical perspective and look at things from a historical perspective and put it in a fictional story. Cause I think that makes it more digestible to people. When you look so. at, you know, I, I personally think people struggle with this. And if you put it out as a fact book, and if I had written this as nonfiction and said, this is what they're going to do, 
for every fact that's out there now, there's six counter facts that are things that, you know, immediately are thrown against it where it's like, no, that's a lie, that's wrong. But when you do it in a fictional way, it makes it more digestible, I think, to a broader audience. And it gets them really thinking about it. And that's the feedback I've been getting from people is that they're like, you know, the part that's that I like about this book is the part that scares me about this book. It's really close. Agree. And I think you really caught the atmosphere, the atmospherics of this post overthrow America. I think the kind of paranoia and the kind of psychosphere you caught that in the book maybe couldn't wouldn't come through in a nonfiction book about these people being parent, like looking over their shoulder all the time, having to adapt to um, this kind of uh, ideology and all this stuff like that. But yeah. Yeah. It, really it's good. a, it's a very challenging thing to do. And I really wanted to do it with an ensemble cast of characters so that you get different perspectives of this. So, you know, it's not about the culture that they're living in. It's about how people come to the realization that this is all corrupt and it's not working and how can they change it? You know, I was talking with somebody the other day and they said, you know, if all, I don't know, if all this stuff went down, I'd be loading up my gun and going in and I'd be immediately out there. But this stuff can happen so fast in the real world that you can't wrap your heads around it. And, um, yeah. I, you know, we saw that with January 6th. It was so quick that, you know, all the talk of, that people have of, I'd be grabbing my gun and loading up and going, it evaporates in the real world. Right. And, I mean, we've just seen this right now. I mean, I saw the Jen Psaki said that the governments can be working with social media companies to flag inappropriate material. It's straight fascism. And the, that announcement was a jaw dropper for me, but it should scare the living daylights out of all Americans. Yeah, the the unholy alliance that's taking place between the politicians, the radical groups like Antifa, and and finally, you know, big tech. I, to me, that was kind of core to this was that Trinity is very dangerous and. Yeah, I have to admit one of the my favorite parts of the book was blowing up all the headquarters of the big tech companies. Right. <laughs> and I'm unabashed about that. It, it, to me it, it it felt good because I you know, I saw that where the audits recently they've taken down their Twitter accounts. So right. you know, literally big, big tech is kind of going we're not going to allow this sort of stuff to to have you know and there can't be any questioning of the authority you can't express anything other than the publicly accepted views of things and i i think a lot of americans are seeing that happen or feeling it happen and i really wanted to capture that a little bit for people so that they could go okay i'm not the only person that feels like this stuff's actually happening out there right and i think you did you co you cover so many different parts of the united states one palo alto california so you're covering all that stuff but yeah the tech companies what's really scary is they're taking uh you know they're following orders from people in the back door i think there was a shiva adurai uh lawsuit where somebody was from the government was influencing his twitter account and all this stuff like it's off the charts that it's actually happening i don't know what's going on with the department of justice or why they're not looking into these events but yeah I mean, I think your book is really on point in that regard of all these really uh, tyrannical, in my opinion, tyrannical uh, big tech type actions that are also involved with the government. And you kind of, you're, 
you're like, you bring in so much of what's happening in the real world, world. So you bring in this new America where the history is just getting uh, erased. Well, they changed the money. They want to change the flag. They changed the national anthem. Um, you know, everything that that is the heart and essence, our icons of what make this country is under assault at this point. Um, and it's under assault on so many various fronts. And anybody that even raises their voice against it gets smothered instantly and buried or outright threatened. Right. And so, yeah, you see all that. And you have parts of your kind of this, this new order that comes into power are, are born out of BLM and Antifa. And so, I mean, I think it's a cautionary tale or element of the book for people that like we were talking in the pre-show. These are the type of people who are going to rule over us if this real progressive revolution takes place. Well, it was one of the things I really wanted to capture was I, I looked at from a historian's perspective. And when you have radical groups like Antifa and, and these others that are out there who their goal is to overthrow the United States of America, destroy capitalism. I mean, it's right in their, their charters of some of their groups. When you're dealing with folks like that, when if the revolution's over, what do you do with them? Well, they become just like Hitler's brown shirts, his stormtroopers, and they administer justice all on their own. Um, they sh can show up at your house and decide that you're a radical. They can take things from you. They can shoot you. You know, they're God, judge, and jury. And you're, in this situation, we've seen this all summer last year where we had uh, politicians completely look the other way um, when it came to Antifa, et cetera. And, and that's a dangerous slope to go down because Antifa will at some point turn on everyone because it's their goal to take down the organized system. So I really had to address that in this book. There was no way around that. Right. And you have kind of elements within the book of even those groups, the new groups fighting amongst themselves because that's just the way it works out with these revolutions in real world history is they, the Bolsheviks, Menserviks or whatever, these groups end up fighting among themselves. People get caught up, but also like the, the family, they literally will threaten families too. At least they did in real world. And you include that in your book. Yeah. The, I think it's important. One of the characters, you know, his father's a historian who simply refused to kind of go along with, with this and, you know, they sent him off to a social quarantine camp, you know, for his own good, which is always how these things are presented. It's, this is always for your own good. We're moving you somewhere where you won't be hurt by other people. And, you know, it, it's never what it really is. And we all know that. Um, a lot of aspects of um, what you see in here is things that are actually in the news and the media. I mean, AOC came out and said, we have to have some sort of committee that reviews what is the truth. Uh, there's been talk of, you know, this Trump reconciliation project of let's go gather up all the names of the Trump supporters so that we can, you know, make sure that they don't do this. All I did was take the elements that the politicians and the loud voices are voicing and say, fine, then let's, let's do that. You get everything you want, and, and that's what you see unfold in Blue Dawn is this feeling of, you know, this is how this is going to unfold. And this is what it would really look like. And it's not a, 
it's not a great society that emerges on the dark side of all this. Right, it's not. And you also conclude real-world things like Obama said he was going to federalize the police. So in this book, you see the federalization of police and its consequences, how police are targeted as they're targeting them now, how they're trying to defund them or call them all racists or criminals. So you see that in real world and what the consequences of that play out in the book to negative res negative results for society, right? Oh, yeah. I, I, I think one of the... You know, my wife and I were talking about it, and one of the things that resonated with her was the entire piece on the nationalized healthcare program, where he's having to go in before people's tribunals to argue for cancer treatment for his father. You know, there's always a downside to public health care and stuff, and, and people will argue, well, we won't implement it that way, but you know, that's how it really goes in the real world. I have friends that are in the UK that, you know, when her son got sick, she had to go before a, a a panel to argue to accelerate his operation because, you know, while he was suffering, they were going, well, according to our chart, it's not a priority thing. So, you know, I'm not making this stuff up. It's actual real world tangible experiences that I've tried to pull together for this. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, you just see all that tr people's tribunals, but you also see the paranoia of a kind of snitch culture and the secret police going around and making sure that everybody is uh, on on board with this new revolutionary government, right? Well, I did it in the form of reparations. I have I have a friend who's doing some work with Congress on reparations, and and he was telling me, you know, they really want to set this up so it's a form of welfare. There's no amount of money you can give someone that's going to change their life or erase what they perceive as an injustice one way or the other. And I'm not arguing against reparations or for them. But, you know, the next logical step was what we saw, started seeing last summer where people were turning in their neighbors for being outdoors and mowing their lawn. For people walking into, you know, into a store without a mask, people would shame them and things along those lines. It's not a far reach to have that happen right now and have the government go, hey, we'll give you points, which you can cash in for dollars to buy stuff if you're part of this. You know, you look at East Germany, what made the East German Stasi work so well was that they got everybody reporting on everybody. They and, seemed like, like, well, every third person was an informant to the government or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's wild. And, and if you go to the Stasi headquarters, you can actually look up. They have the records online, so you can see if you had a record opened on you. And a lot of people have been shocked over the years to find out that their neighbors turned them in for infractions that didn't even exist. Right, or family members even, too, will turn you in. And you have a sequence in this book where... One, the family members are split in their allegiances between this kind of underground movement and then people supporting New America. So that's how it plays out in the real world is that these families get split up in, in revolutionary times. That's very true. And I think, you know, this is the start of a civil war. This book kind of kicks off a new American civil war. And I'm working already on the sequel to this book. Okay. I'm halfway through it. And it's a lot of fun, but it's also, it's just, it's emotionally draining to do at times. Fortunately, CNN and MSNBC serve up a lot of great content on a daily basis. But, uh, 
but as you're going through this, you you do realize that this isn't going to be a civil war like what we're used to. It's more like what happened in the southern colonies during the American Revolution, where it wasn't the government down there fighting. It was neighbor versus neighbor. And, and sometimes it was people who live next door to each other were on different sides of the fence about whether you know the United States should be part of Britain or break off. It's not going to be like the last civil war where you can draw clean lines around states. Some states may be, but this is going to be more about urban America versus rural America. It's going to be this neighborhood disagreeing with that neighborhood. Like we saw in St. Louis when we had that, the riders that came through that development, that couple came out with their guns. Right, the McCloskeys or whatever. Is yeah. That the you know, I looked at that and said, this is this is how this war will actually unfold in our country is it's one group of neighbors from one part of the city coming into another neighbor's part. And I really wanted to capture that. And I enjoy the the one character I have that kind of flips during I have two characters that flip, but one character is this bright young guy first-generation American. He's totally bought into the numerica ideal, and, and he slowly starts to realize this isn't this isn't right, and, and then literally becomes part of riots and, and things along those lines and realizes how horrible this really is. And, and I really want people to, to go, you know, there's going to be people that totally buy into the concepts of a new America and all of this stuff, that's going to be a challenge for, for conservatives, I think, in the years to come. Yeah, and I think you're seeing it right now. I mean, you see it right now when you see how much the, the they really want to change and ignore the history of the past. If you see the 1619 ideas and uh, uh, was it total racist theory, critical racist theory, you see a lot of that stuff is ahistorical, really. So you can see that really in the book and in real world. And you include in the book, like this new America, a lot of your old history or a lot of your holidays too will be totally changed by this kind of idea. And I also kind of see your conceptualization of this future also uh, non-religious or not uh, very nihilistic and also atheistic, right? Is that correct? Yeah. there. You know, I, I have a Catholic priest in this that, that you know, kind of lays out that the, this war is against the religious freedoms as well. And, and there's a reason for that. It, and it, it, it goes back to these unholy alliances that you see unfold um, in modern day right now. But as it happens, you know, there, there's this belief that we can't have other groups teaching morals. We can't have other groups setting what the values are. And so the view tends to be, let's turn against the organized churches, primarily the Catholic Church. Let's let's go after the Catholic Church. They're bad. And to do that, they're willing to side with a, another religion, which is Islam, which is far worse in, in terms of the values that it has, in, in terms of how it treats women and gays and lesbians, etc. They're willing to overlook all that and say, well, we'll give them much more leeway as opposed to the more traditional churches that Judaism and Christianity. And we're seeing that right now, you yeah. know, with supporting the deals, uh, you know, let's, let's get back into the Iranian deal and get them producing, you know, 
enriched uranium again. You know, there's only one reason they're doing that. They're doing it to make a bomb. <laughs> right. They don't need, this is the one of the most oil-rich countries on the planet. And their argument of they're trying to do it to have nuclear power because they have an energy shortage is, is hilarious. Right. And you also kind of include it, real history. I think the Sons of Liberty were really around at the revolu original revolution and you include that kind of concept or these groups of trying to keep the older ways alive in this environment. I think that that would happen. I don't think it'll happen overnight the way a lot of people do. Um, you know, because like I said, most people think, hey, if this goes down, I'm going to grab my gun and go out in my front yard and start shooting. It doesn't happen like that. But I think it's more of a gradual thing that will slowly build and i and resistant the tighter you squeeze the more you inflict a change i was a change manager in corporate america the more you mandate a change the more you force a change on people the more resistance you get and that's just part of it right and uh so <clears throat> i mean you also include a lot of kind of slogans and this i this equality and equity concepts throughout this book and you can really just see that in the in the current cultural warfare or culture comp that we're going through. But it just seems that it's so prescient in this book that that, that would continue these very simple uh, ideas these people have about things. And it's really crazy, too, because if these if the far left really gets in, you're really going back to Robespierre. You're going back to, you know, guys killing each other. You know, and everybody looks at the French Revolution and says, well, that was a good thing. You know, it, it led to Napoleon and it led to a dictatorship, ultimately. And in the end, the the complete reformation flipped on itself and they turned. Robespierre was killed by his own revolutions. And that's what you're starting to see in this book is that the left will start consuming itself eventually. Uh, it takes time. And that's... That's a tricky part of this, but you know, I've tried to walk this as a, as delicately as possible. I and, and I'm sure some people, if you're if you're progressive, you're going to look at this book and say you're shoving down these horrible concepts. This isn't how this is going to unfold. I think half of the country, however, is going to look at this book and say, "Wait a minute, this is exactly how I see this unfolding," and I, it scares the hell out of me. Yeah, it's a very scary uh, concept to think if this comes into power and you you start off and you actually your interlude is kind of seems like it's based upon the real event of the assault upon the White House that took place while Trump was there and how how it made the look the, the government look impotent. Right. I mean, you and I think you even say you got to call the military out. And the military doesn't even want to come out. Yeah, it. it what we've seen from the military in the last few months where they're going after anyone who they call it extremism, but they're looking for anybody who's conservative in their ranks to kind of call them out. Um, you know, the wokeism movement has infected the military to the point where I, I don't know if they're going to be able to focus on their primary mission, which is defending the country. Um, the attack on the White House, you know, honestly, the original thought that I had was, why don't I make this book where Trump is wins the election, <laughs> and then every, these events all unfold? Could I? What would happen? And the first thing that came to mind is, they would storm the White House. There's no way they would let. They're out of options with Donald Trump. They tried everything with Donald Trump. Um, 
they've they've impeached him. They they've slandered his family. They've lied across the board with him. What's left of them? It's killing him. And, and so we open. I try to open the book with a different scenario, obviously, than him winning the election, but um, really tried to map out how would that have looked and how would that have played out in my mind. And that was the original thinking on this. I, I realized he probably wasn't going to win the election the minute the the Democrats all started going, well, we're in, suddenly in favor of mail-in balloting. That was like a, I said, you know, they were all against it. Now they're in favor of it. They figured out how to cheat. And cheat it, yeah. that no. was, that was what resonated with me was, it was like, wow, this is all over at this point. Right. And I mean, they deplatformed the president of the United States. So a lot of his speeches didn't even go out through social media where a lot of people are getting their information now. I mean, it's really incredible. It's, it's unprecedented, really attacks upon the presidency that I've never seen in this country before. And I think that this, this book reflects that very well. Well, it's not just that. The, if you look at the statement that Twitter put out is when they blocked the president's account, it's not for anything that he said. It's for what he might say. Yeah. And how how can you do that? With, you know, I view these, the big tech companies, a lot of people are like, well, they're private companies. They can do whatever they want. I hear that. However, they're more like a utility. And I view, the, I view Facebook like I do AT&T. And it would be like AT&T suddenly saying, well, we picked up a phone call that you made. We're worried that you're going to say something bad, so we're shutting off your phone service. That's not that far of a reach (laughs) to go there. But that's how I view how these tech companies are. They should be treated like a utility, and they shouldn't be in the business of determining what's safe for everybody else to read or, or to engage with. You know, let people speak out and let them do what they're going to do. No one's holding them accountable for that. And it's, it's a scary situation. Yeah. I mean, I think that they're really working with the left to censor people and deplatform people. I got kicked off. I mean, so I, I'm not, uh, I'm not surprised that that happened to the president in, in real time, but uh, somebody asks here, is this book available Anywhere besides Amazon, she doesn't want to support Jeff Bezos. Where's the best place to obtain this book? Uh, Amazon's always a good start, but I understand somebody not wanting to support Bezos. You can go to Barnes & Noble and order it. Um, any bookstore should be able to order this at this point. And you have this in hard copy, Kindle. Is this an audio book as well? Uh, the audio bu- audio book's being worked on, but okay, it's coming cool. soon. Cool. That's that's an important one. People, can look, people are listening to more and more books. That's uh, yeah. what I'm finding out. And um, is there anything else? I mean, I highly recommend this book. I really, like I said, I was smiling and nodding along while reading through the book. Is um, is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap this up or any questions from the people listening? Anything well, you'd like to say, Blake? I, from where I sit is, look, if you've been nervous and uneasy and you're a conservative out there, this is a book for you. This is a book that will help you gel your thinking. It's a good set of stories. It's an ensemble cast that kind of leads you through this numerica and what it means. And I think it's going to help you crystallize what the real threats are. And I think that's what's really important about it. 
Yeah, I agree. And I mean, it's really almost reads like historical fiction, even though it's set in the future. It seems like we're sliding into this future dystopia faster and faster. So I commend you for writing the book. I look forward for the volume two, and I look forward to reading that as well. Again, the title of the book is Blue Dawn, The Most Chilling What If in History, The Progressive Overthrow of the United States by Blaine Pardo, published June 29th, 2021. Thanks so much, Blaine. Thank you. Okay. You still there?